0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic!
1: Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news shortly and with our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson on the bench. Our favourite super sub from ESPN, Joey Lynch, will be joining us throughout the show in the J-League has long been the leading men's competition in Asia, and in recent years has been the breeding ground for not only some of our leading national players, but also for our best coaches. Ange Postacoglu is the leading light, Kevin Musket not far behind with a premiership and second spot in the last two seasons, and Harry Kuehl in the conversation to be the next cab off the rank. We'll discuss it all with our mate from the Asian game, Scott McIntyre. Then, after falling just sort of an unexpected title in last season's English top flight, the Gunners are mounting a proper case this Season with Mikel Arteta's men one point from top in the Premier League and top of their group in the Champions League with both titles looking open. Was the weekend a stumble against a legitimate Villa side or are the Gunners still a player or too short of a Premiers winning outfit? We'll discuss it all with James McNicholas from The Athletic Edge. Uh, we usually, our timing is generally pretty good. I, I'd booked. James McNicholas ready for you and Derek to have a chat to. Derek's gone off sick. Is it because Arsenal lost? That is the big question on everybody's lips.
2: I don't know what you're talking about, Rob. Arsenal beat <laughs> Chelsea 4-1 in the Women's Super League. So, I mean, that's the big news for Australian women's football. But no, looking forward to talking to James McNicholas. Look, um, they've only lost two matches. They're one top one point off top spot. Um, you know, As an Arsenal fan going into Christmas, there's still a lot to play for. But uh, hello to you, Rob, and to Joey Lynch from ESPN, who's joining us again this week, looking forward to his input, talking to Scott McIntyre about all the things in Japan, the obvious news about Kevin Muscat. Um, But I've got a question off the top for you, Rob. Bruno Fornaroli, I know you're going to talk about him in stoppage time, but Mm. at 36 years of age, he's in an unbelievable streak of form at the moment. Can he find his way into the Socceroos forward group? who will represent Australia at the Asian Cup. Do you think he's on the mind of Graham Arnold
1: or not? Well, I think the short answer is yes. But when you've got Joey Lynch on the show, you definitely have to handball that one over to him to get his thoughts. I'm going to ask you in a moment, Joey is sitting there uh, ready to go. But I'll just give a quick wrap of, of the men's A League to get us going and the unpredictable men's A League, of course. MacArthur back on top of the A League table after a 2 0 win over Sydney FC. The scoreline and their man advantage for the bulk of the game, bellying just how tight the contest was. Wellington time atop of the A League was short lived, defeated 3 0 by Newcastle. At the cake tin while pressure has started them out on John Aloisi after a six straight loss at Western United. On Sunday, Bruno Fornaroli's second four-goal hole of the season saw Melbourne victory maintain their unbeaten start to the campaign. Four-three winners over the Wanderers in Parramatta. Joey, I'm going to pose Edges' question to you, um, and we'll flesh it out a bit more in stoppage time. Um, When you're scoring this sort of volume of goals in the domestic competition, surely the national coach has to, to have you in the frame. I mean, I guess the
0: easiest, one of the simplest ways to answer the question of if, is Bruno Fornaroli going to be on the radar of Graham Arnold is to just respond with another question of my own. Right now, which eligible soccer striker is playing better than Bruno Fornaroli? Yeah. There, isn't, yeah. there isn't one. There's, you've either got players who aren't playing regular minutes who are coming off the bench, or I think we can all agree that Mitch Duke is probably nailed on, but his Japanese season has now finished. Jamie McLaren's playing regularly, but he's not playing as well as Bruno Fornaroli. Adam Taggart's playing well and playing regularly, but he's still not playing as well as Bruno Fornaroli. The simplest answer is, if, uh, is just Bruno Fornaroli has to be on the radar because he's playing really well and he's scoring lots of goals. What else can he do?
1: Yeah. That's a good point. We'll talk about it a bit more in stoppage time because there are a couple of questions that, that I want to ask you. So that'll be our midweek show that, that drops. But uh, certainly we're, we're not that blessed with uh, with strikers. I mean, international football at the best of times is really blessed with inter- with strikers who are, who are in uh, a purple patch of form. So surely you have to consider them when they're in that kind of uh, sweet uh, sweet form. Now, in the Women's A-League, a hat-trick to Perth striker Millie Farrow has seen the glory leapfrog Melbourne City into first place on the top. Of the table following the 3 1 win, glory boss Alex Epicus told the press, Silverware is the aim for a side that has not played final since 2018 19 and fell a point shy of the top four last season. Elsewhere, New Western United boss Kat Smith enjoyed a first win over Adelaide United, and Vesna Milosevic netted a hat trick for Canberra in their first win of the season. So, uh, good news for Canberra. They, they were looking dead set hopeless for a while there, Edge, but uh, a, a busy weekend with. Of, of, uh, Women's
2: yeah, good news for Canberra. Um, and oh, but Perth is the story. Alex Parker says um, he's doing better than I thought he would do, and they're top of the table now. Have they got the depth in the squad to last the, the longer A League Women's season this this year? Um, who knows? But at the moment, uh, he deserves a lot of plaudits because it's not easy. It's one of the, I think it's the toughest. A-League women's uh, job, the Perth job, because of the um, the challenges in recruiting players to the West, getting them to stay, um, bonding them. Um, also, the local competition is not as strong as the Eastern Seaboard. So for the local players, you know, they have to find their way over to Eastern Seaboard. You know, meshing all of that together is difficult. So Alexa Apakis and Perth, they're on top of the table. Well done to them. Uh, will they remain on top of the table? Oh, I'm not so sure. But at the moment, he uh, well and surely is entitled to be um taking the lid off a little bit.
1: Brief thoughts, Joe?
0: I think a lot of credit has to be given both to Alexa Parkers for the job he's done and simply the fact that Perth Glory have done the right thing in retaining him and backing him throughout an extended period of time. He was appointed. He didn't win a game in his first season, but he was really with COVID. He was, you know, up a certain Creek without a paddle, but they're stuck with him. They're stuck with a sense of continuity. They've had a lot of continuity in players signing multi-year contracts. And we're seeing the rewards from that now, whereas, wherein Perth treated this team like a project to be built upon and developed and to have care and attention paid to it. And we're seeing the benefits of that now. So I think uh, credit needs to be given to Alexa Apakis and Perth Glory. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you talk about the depth they need, whether they do maybe look to bring maybe one or two other more players in now that they, do, now that they are shaping as potential silverware candidates from memory they were, I think it was Denise O'Sullivan, they were maybe thinking about bringing in last season. I think they went to the APL to try to get marquee funding and that fell through. But that shows a willingness for them to invest mid-season. So now with the p- potential for their shaping as maybe one of four or five sides that could potentially actually win the grand final this season, does that provide them added impetus to bring someone in?
1: No matter what uh, ends up happening, it's a, it's a great... A League Women's competition off the back of of the Women's World Cup with you know, crowds still uh, uh, strong and and that's exactly what we wanted to see. So if uh, if you're listening and you haven't been out to an A League Women's match, um, then you know do yourself a favour and, and and get on out because you're going to see some pretty entertaining football. Now before we get into the Premier League, a couple of top lines on the other continental competitions because some big stories continuing to come out. So Bayern Munich first loss of the season five one to Eintracht Frankfurt. More on that in stoppage time. It was it was not the time to do it because Leverkusen had a draw against Stuttgart really could have changed the dynamic at the top of the season. Juve on top of City and Girona continues to divide the odds uh, as they lead La Liga and that great story is good all of the hallmarks of Leicester City uh, uh, of six or seven years ago which uh, we'll continue to talk about. Now in the Premier League, Aston Villa have won a a club record 15th straight home match to move to third on the table, defeating Manchester City and Arsenal this past week. Not since they last won the title in 80-81, Villa tallied so many points after 16 games. The only side in the league not to have dropped points from a winning position, they have Brentford and Sheffield United before Christmas. Elsewhere, Liverpool moved top with a come-from-behind win over Crystal Palace, a very lucky one, if you don't mind. And Tottenham snapped a five-game winless run with a big win over Newcastle. Edge, um, did you watch uh, much football over the weekend from the other side of the world? I, I If I didn't watch the mini-matches or full-matches, I, I caught up with as many highlight packages. It was, uh, it was a great weekend.
2: Yeah, great weekend. Obviously, we had that midweek round, didn't we? So the, the games were coming thick and fast. I travelled back to Bangkok from... So uh, I have uh, only been watching the highlights, but uh, good for Ange Postecoglou to—he needed to really um, break that uh, winless streak, didn't he? And uh, Aston Villa—I mean, uh, fair income. Um, Prince William—he's yeah. an Aston Villa fan. They must—he must be like Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks is Sweden. an Aston Villa fan. Uh, uh, Brendan Schwab is an Aston Villa fan. So, oh well, yeah. Um, I
1: mean, Brendan Schwab always gets mentioned in the same circles as Tom. Absolutely, Hanks,
2: but uh, I mean, if you're a Villa fan, you would be pinching yourself because no one. No one expected that, no. and uh, two no.
1: massive wins uh, all within a week. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, hey, Joey, I want to reflect on a, on a story that just keeps on bubbling along. English FA chair Debbie Hewitt has claimed disgraced former Spanish football president Luis Rubiales inappropriately touched England players during the World Cup final medal presentation. Hewitt, along with New Zealand football president Joanna Wood, were asked to testify as witnesses in FIFA's disciplinary committee. Case against Rubiales, having both stood nearby the medal presentation in Sydney on August the twentieth, Hewitt detailed two instances of physical behaviour by Rubiales towards players Lucy Bronze and Laura Coombs. Rubiales has responded by calling Hewitt a hypocrite. What do you make of all that?
0: I, I'm, I, I despair that we have to give this hideous man even more attention and more oxygen and more brain power and just. Just in general, like it would be great if people like him and we could just get him. People like Rubiales and Joey Barton and all of these people and just get rid of them. Just like unfortunately they have these platforms and it's all mm. just get rid of them. Like they had nothing. They had nothing. Mm. And yeah, just get. Get them out
1: of here. I guess like Hollywood um, with the Weinstein Me Too movement, that, that uh, there does have to be a transition process where the worst of their behavior is called out because there yeah. are still plenty of dinosaurs out oh. there who refuse to oh, believe like- it unless they actually see it. So sometimes you've got to just... Air all the dirty laundry before. Oh you can yeah, move ab- on. absolutely.
0: We absolutely should. People should be protected and empowered and believed when they come forward. Mm. I, I'm also just like despairing that these people still yeah. exist in the game, yeah. to be honest, and just hope that we reach the point wherein we'll probably never be rid of people like that, just because of human nature. But we mm. pr- we deny them safe spaces. Yeah, they don't feel as though they are in positions wherein they can eat engage in these behaviours in a, in a safe space and be protected by others and institutions.
1: Well, hopefully the fact that it's being spoken about and people like him are being called out right now will uh, will change uh, that um, even in incremental parts. Um, now, Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. You can join the Green and Gold Army in Qatar to support Socceroos at the AFC Asian Cup packages. Great value. 14 nights, five-star accommodation, seven matches, all the ground transport, four epic events, tourism, cultural activity, much, much more. We talked about it all last week. Edge, where do you go to uh, log on and uh, and express your interest?
2: Uh, GGArmy.com. And uh, for Matilda's fans, uh, we're actually going to Uzbekistan for mm-hmm. the women's, uh, well,
1: uh, women's
2: Olympic Games qualifier, a five-night program. Um, over to Uzbekistan and have a bit of fun, bit of tourism activity and see the Matildas play in Tashkent.
1: Fair dinkum mate, I'm lucky to get out of my own backyard and you go from one exotic place to the next. Looks like Joey's um, raised his eyebrow. He might. there. If you need a tour guide, I think uh, there might be a conversation happening after this show. Now, congratulations, go to Graham Arnold and Cheryl Salisbury, the first football representatives amongst 12 new inductees at the SCG Hall of Fame this week. The new inductees takes the total members to 45, some legendary names among the list as you'd expect. So great news, taken long enough. Um, there's been some wonderful Moments um, happen uh, around that Moore Park uh, precinct. I know I've been to plenty of them over the journey. We could. Been a week's worth of shows uh, talking about them, but it, uh, it is great news. Now, Muskie, Kevin Musket has announced his resignation as Yokohama F Marinos boss. We'll talk to Scott McIntyre about that shortly after his two and a half year stint, headlined by their 2022 J League or J1 League title. Muskie stated, It's not easy to leave the Marinos family, but we've created some wonderful memories together that I will cherish for a long time. I wish you all well and success in the future. Musket leads the Marinos one last time this Wednesday in the Asian Champions League. He's Former national teammate and current Celtic assistant Harry Kuehl has been linked to the position. It's worth noting that Musket joined Yokohama after being sacked by Victory then in St Truiden in Belgium, and the club has been very good to him. So, Joey, um, it's it's a real rebuild phase for for Kevin Musket, Puts his career back in the ascendancy. He's got the pick of, of what he, he wants. Your thoughts?
0: I think it's very good timing for him in the sense that we're now heading into in... Europe, if he does indeed want to move to Europe, I've seen reports that maybe some other Japanese clubs are interested. I'm sure Scotty Mack will be able to give us a greater insight into that. But um, uh, it's good timing for him in Europe in the sense that we're heading into the silly season. Uh, Leagues are going into Christmas breaks. Um, The transfer, the January transfer window is opening. This is around the time when clubs are going to begin to start thinking if we're going to pull the trigger on a coach, it needs to be now. Um, to either give the new gaffer time during the winter break and or to give the gaffer um, some opportunity to sign some new players in January. So timing-wise, I think it's very good timing for Muskie. Obviously, he wasn't able to lift the J1 League title this season, but came second. He's won it in the past. Uh, Ange Postacoglu's uh, record in Europe since he left Yokohama is going to be doing him a ton of favours as well. So I think he's striking at just the right time if he wants to land. Let's face it also in a better uh, circumstances than he did in his first go round in Europe in Belgium. I think he's now in a position where he could have a few more suitors and really narrow in on the best destination for him and his career.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, well said, and uh, hopefully uh, he he does bob up uh, somewhere soon. Uh, there was talk about Millwall at some point, but um, you know, wouldn't that be a, a homecoming if ever there was one in the Women's Super League? Four Aussies in action as Arsenal Edge mentioned off the top of the show met Chelsea before over fifty nine thousand at the Emirates, a new WSL record. Caitlin Ford and Steph Catley started with Kyra Cooney Cross coming off the bench for the Gunners who pump the blues and Sam Kerr 4-1 to move equal Top on the ladder. Congrats as well to Tegan Mige for now the incumbent keeper at Liverpool who had a one-all draw with Bristol City. Okay, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, we've got a busy show ahead. Scott McIntyre joining us from Japan. Uh, we'll talk about um, the uh, the departure of, of Kevin Musket, uh, whether Harry Kuhl's in the frame to replace him, and uh, and just what um, what uh, the final stages of the the, the J League uh, looked like, and and ahead to the Asian Cup. That's all next on Box to Box. Box
0: to Box.
2: Can you believe it?
0: For Chemist Warehouse.
2: Great savings every
0: day.
1: And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices.
2: Changing the mood of
0: food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we said off the top of the show, the J League has long been the leading men's competition in Asia. And in recent years has been the breeding ground not only for some of our leading national players, but also, of course, for our coaching top ranks of course, Ange Postacoglu is head of that class. Not far behind, though, is Kevin Musket with a premiership and second place in the last two seasons. We'll discuss it all with our very good friend from the
3: Asian Games, Scott McIntyre, joins us now. How are you, Scott? Good afternoon, guys. Yeah, very very good. Thanks for the thanks for invite and good to be back on the show.
1: No, always good to chat to you, mate. Um, so um, for some of us, it was a bit of a shock. Um, Musket seemed to have the Marinos uh, on track to, to go back-to-back until late in the season when they, they got the wobbles. Before we, we ask you about him specifically, um, what do you put that late season fade out to was it uh, was it all on them or was it Vasil that just happened to to put their foot on the gas and um and, and strike while the when the opportunity arose?
3: yeah yeah I mean bits of both I guess um the other thing to factor in was um the Champions League obviously this year the schedule uh is different with that so this was the first time that uh that clubs had to navigate you know the start of the group stage and of course we're back you know not the bubble format anymore either so Travel was involved. So right at the pointy end uh, of the season, you've got the the clubs that were involved in the Champions League having to navigate, you know, the league as well, which Marinos was one of those, whereas Corbert wasn't, you know. So it was a little bit of an advantage for them to, um, yeah, basically just to focus on the league, whereas, you know, Marinos were fighting on on a couple of fronts and I mean, geez, they, they got really lucky. Actually, they've got a huge match still coming next week in the championship. But, you know, a couple of match days ago when they went to the Philippines and he basically gambled, I think, um, you know, trying to prioritize the league and, and he sent a really young, um, side over to the Philippines and they struggled, yeah, mightily on a pretty bad surface, but they, they managed to jag a result in the end. And I actually caught up with Muskie, um around the same time as well they were they were playing down down near where i'm living uh, down in the south and um yeah he he, he basically said you know it's, it is it is really hard this year having to you know yeah prioritize what you do because you want to have success in both um in, in both competitions so th- this is a new reality for the teams um up here in, in in this part of the world korea uh china and japan in particular how to now juggle you know the the different format um I don't know if it's come out down there as well, but the J leagues um, it's pretty much, I don't know if it's formally been announced, but I think it's going to happen um, in a year or so. They're actually going to flip the calendar as Mm -hmm. well and, um, and and kind of match the European calendar, which is now the Asian champions league calendar as well. So I think there's a lot of pressure then on other nations right across Asia to kind of drop in and, and kind of get everyone on the same page. It's been a big issue up here because how do you play, you know, the Northern parts of Japan in in the middle of, um, yeah, I mean now, you know, December and, and January when it's really, really cold and, yeah, what kind of impact does that have, uh, you know, even on the A League calendar going forward as well? You know, if, if there is going to be this push and this pressure to try and align everyone right across the continent to get the same calendar going. So, yeah, so, but at the same token, getting back to the original question, Colbert were good. I, I think they were good without being great. Um, uh, very unusual, really, uh, this year that they basically won the title without any foreigners. Um, you know, Iniesta left. They brought in a few other kind of big um, big names, predominantly are one Mata, but he hardly played. You know, I mean, I, I might be right to so say he didn't start a game. He saw a few minutes here or there, but there were spells where he wasn't even in in the match day squad. And 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 essentially, the eleven throughout the year was an all Japanese eleven, which is really really um, uh, unusual. Not only for a title winning side, but it's a, it's unusual for for almost any clubs. Um, you know, even down J one, J two, and J three. You know, that you you tend to have some Brazilians kind of kicking about at most clubs. So Japanese coach, Japanese squad. Now, from that point of view, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy, you know, because it, it doesn't happen not only in Japan, it doesn't happen around the world, you know, in these bigger kind of leagues where you've got domestic um, base players and a domestic coach winning the league. So, yeah, fair, fair play to them. I don't think they dazzled, um, don't think it was a great league, um, a year all round for the league, but um, yeah, in the end, they were probably just about the better team and, and deserve the title.
1: Yeah, I'll look, I'll note that. Um, uh, that uh, news that you effectively gave us because we're not seeing a lot of reporting in Australia on that alignment of the season so we, perhaps we'll have a chat about that in the new year and discuss the consequences of yeah. that to Muskie though um, were you uh, when you spoke to him um, privy to any of the background news to his departure or where he's heading off to
3: I think he's got yeah, he's got a few I, Well, I think he's got a lot of offers on the table. Um to be honest, it's probably not my place to say where they are, but um but yeah, I think there's offers in Europe, there's um there's certainly a lot of offers right across Asia as well and um you know, I mean, you compare the money, I think maybe people um think that the J League is swimming in money. It's certainly not compared to some of the uh, other leagues in Asia. So, you know, I mean, if he was to um yeah, to, to go to you know two or three say other leagues in Asia, um, I, I think his salary would be um substantially uh, increased from what it is now, and and you know I think it's it's huge credit to him, it's credit um you know to the project that was kind of started with Ange, continued through Muskie, and of course all the Australian backroom staff that's been involved as well, and it would be great to see if that did continue with. Yeah, with, with Harry Kill or, or whoever the next coach may be. But I, I think, like Ange did, I think um also Muskie's left a real impact on Japanese football, you know. I mean, obviously, they won the title last year. You know, they didn't win it this year, but but they were right in it for a long part of the season. And he, and he kept playing the football that he wanted to play the last couple of years on the eve of the season. You know, he's lost really key and important players, like right you know, before the opening game of the season and you know you deal with injuries and, and and everything else but still with that sticking with the kind of football that he wants to play the the style of football that's I guess now becomes synonymous with Marinos through the Australian connection which I think is a, it, it's a good thing for Angus good thing for for Muskie hopefully it's a good thing for the next Australian coach that may or may not be there as well and you know we've got a real identity now an Australian kind of DNA coaching DNA that's running through the club so you know he leaves here um obviously of his own choice. I mean, you know, I think uh, my understanding is that they tried really hard to get him to stay. Um, but there were offers elsewhere that, um, yeah, that, that I also think he wanted to explore. You know, he's he's done what he kind of wanted to do here. It would have been good maybe to, to see if they can't navigate this last Champions League match um, whenever it is tomorrow or the day after tomorrow and, and maybe go on a run there. But, yeah, I mean, he's won the title. He's, um, I, I think he's left a real legacy for Japanese football and he should be really proud of the work that he's done here. And, yeah, on to the next challenge, wherever that may be.
1: Yeah, sure, and um, and uh, you know, in the eyes of some, particularly in Europe, um, winning in Australia is one thing, but um, but rehabilitating your reputation and doing it in Japan is another thing altogether. We mentioned off the top, and you have just mentioned his name again. Some particularly good judges have Harry Kuehl in the frame for the Socceroos job a few years down the track. Uh, and I'd be surprised if Edge isn't grinning because the only judge I've heard was me tongue-in-cheek suggesting that some time ago. So I'm very pleased to see that Harry's uh, career is back in the ascendancy, but he's not coming quite through with the same trajectory that Ange first did and then uh, and then Muskie uh, in particular. Um, you know, he's had a, a few speed humps along the way, but Perhaps that time that he spent with Ange at Celtic um, has polished um, his reputation a little bit. Uh, uh, is this likely to happen? Are your sources telling you that it's uh, on the brink, or? Yeah, I,
3: I, I, I don't know, but but what I what what I think will happen is that certainly, um, as was the case with Ange, I mean, it was basically a case of Ange, um, you know, handpicking his successor. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that. Um, that kind of um uh interest will be there from marinos you know to listen very closely to whoever um uh, yeah mus- Muskie, um you know may basically uh endorse for the job and and i think that's a good thing as well it's a good thing for the club because it's worked uh it's worked for them um previously so yeah if 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 harry's a name that um that endorses then it obviously comes uh you know one with good reason from from that point of view and and i think will be treated very uh very seriously from from the club's perspective as well I yeah, wouldn't be surprised maybe also if they looked at Sean Ontong, of course who's been there um as the assistant you know first under Ange and then um you know was basically in the number 2 under under Musky for this whole time as well whether he um yeah, I don't know whether he moves on with Muskie or whether he uh, he stays and you know maybe it's too early in his um traje- tra- tra- coaching uh, trajectory but um yeah equally Harry hasn't really had a you know a storied kind of um you know coaching career out on his own either so you, you'd kind of be taking a little bit of a stab in the dark either way with both of them but um yeah you know we've seen people that work with Ange go on to to do good things um and and we've seen what you know even now what we have working with muscle what it's done for like ross alawisi you know obviously he's had a big career in um in female football prior to that but you know what what he's doing this year at brisbane in turning that kind of team around and, and, you know, even just the DNA that the way that he's got Brisbane playing uh, this year as well. So it would be good to have someone kind of within that, yeah, that family, whether that is someone like a Sean Ontong, whether that's, as a, you know, it's a Harry Kuehl or whether maybe someone else in that kind of Ange Muskie orbit um, comes in. But I think that makes a lot of sense from from the club's point of view. And and like I said, I think whoever um, Muskie kind of endorses, I think will have a big, yeah, kind of leg up in, in maybe coming in and taking over.
2: Scott, it is a unique relationship between Australia and Marinos. What is the foundation of that in terms of there's just been a string of Australian coaches? Is there a, a particular um, administrator or, or, you know, if heavily influential person at the club that likes Australian coaches or is it just a, a coincidence that there's been a string of Australian influence at the club?
3: No, I mean obviously they're part of well, not so much anymore, but they were certainly at that time when things um first started part of CFG. So, you know, there were the links down to Melbourne City, and I'm sure you know all the clubs in that, uh, in that kind of group kind of keep tabs on what's happening with the clubs, you know, elsewhere in the world, and 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 therefore by association the league. Um, and, yeah, I think maybe some of those connections were what um, helped Dan to get into Marinos in the first place. And then, you know, he brought through the assistants and then we've seen the other assistants, you know, move on from, from there to other parts of uh, of Japanese football. You know, Arthur Pappas, who's now um, down in Thailand, Pete Klamowski, who's now um, at the helm of a massive club um, in FC Tokyo, like a, yeah, like a huge club, you know. Um, uh, he's there and, and then, yeah, all the other stuff that, that are still there, you know, the even the you know a lot of the physical staff have been Australians uh, down the year at the club but like i said sean has been there for a while now as well um so uh, john hutchinson was there although i'm not sure um if that uh yeah necessarily uh ended on the best of terms but um he's um you know he's a cr- across down at yokohama uh fc who got relegated um this year as well so there's been a whole you know sphere of australians there and yet would be great um would you be great to see it uh, continue on because it gives you know Australian football fans, you know, maybe a, a club to, to cheer for as well, you know, with, with those kind of connections.
2: Mitch Duke has been Graham Arnold's first choice striker right through um, the last couple of years. And I think he'll go into the Asian Cup um, uh, only in the starting number nine position for sure. Can you just reflect on um, his season, um, how influential he was for McCheetah um, who have been promoted and what can we expect from them in J League One next season?
3: yeah yeah i mean he he had a few um injury issues early on but um i mean he was an important part uh of that team and and they're um yeah they're a kind of club that they're kind of on the western fringe of tokyo so they're, they're technically in tokyo but i think a lot of people in tokyo might think they're not um they're not complaining that they're, they're tokyo club um but they, they a couple of years ago they got some wealthy um investment um and and have really been accelerating since that investment there. And they invested heavily in the squad. Obviously, Mitchell was part of that coming in across from Okayama, And it's not, um, yeah, it's not often, you know, that the, the, the Socceroos having a starting forward, you know, is playing the second tier of Japanese football, but they are a big club. And, and, and the J League's got this weird history. I think it's happened um, a couple of times down the years where clubs have got promoted from J2 and gone on to win uh, J1 in the next season. And I'm um, I, I think they're going to do really well, actually. Next year, Machida. you know, it's 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 not even beyond the the realms that, you know, that they could uh, even be another one of those clubs that that have come and and I yeah, I think they're going to give the league a shake. Actually, J one, I, I think there'll be more investment coming, um, and if they can get a few of the, the the kind of players, you know, high profile players that they're after, um, I think they could yeah, that they could really give J one a shake, uh, next year, you know, so. You know, maybe to outsiders they'll look at them small club, never been in the top flight before. But yeah, they're they're really, um, really, really well uh, backed in terms of the the financial side of things, um, and they're they're highly ambitious, and they're coming up. So and and also Tokyo Verdy, um, which is a, a kind of um you know storied old club in the history of Japanese football, uh, got promoted in in kind of dramatic circumstances through the through the playoff late on in that game as well. So they're up as well. So you know, if we look at yeah, say Pete Klamovsky, the the other Australian coach, he's now got. You know, Tokyo's been um, the, the kind of one-club team in J1 for a long time. They've now got these two um, kind of upshots. Verdi have got an unbelievable youth academy, um, maybe not the financial backing that Machi to have. But, you know, so that they'll, they'll be bringing through the young players. Machi will be bringing in, um, I think, a lot of um, maybe pizzazz into their squad. So, yeah, so Pete's going to have a job on his hands trying to keep uh, that, that mantle of the top club in Tokyo. And it's a good thing to have, yeah, you know, it's big city like this, whatever it is, maybe the first or the second biggest city in the world to have only one club in there for a long time has been a bit of an unusual situation. So to have three clubs next year from, from that point of view is good as well. And um, yeah, yeah. If Mitch sticks around at at Machida, yeah, it'll be, um, it'll be, it'll be uh, exciting times. I think, I think they'll do really, really well. And um,
2: for many, many uh, uh, pundits, uh, the best goalkeeper not playing for the Socceroos, Mitch Lengarek had another outstanding season. you catch up with Mitch regularly. Um, he just keeps he just keeps enhancing his reputation as um, probably the J League's most outstanding goalkeeper.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think, like you said, it's just that consistency as well. You know, um, obviously season on season, but but month on month and week on week. You know, he prepares still so well. He's obviously not as young as he once was, but um, the the preparation is still, yeah, absolutely first class and. Not just in the history of the club, but I think in the history of the league. Now you know he's going to go down as one of the great um, all-time keepers. I think they've had a rather unusual um, crest badge rebranding recently. I, have, I hope yeah. he wasn't part of that. That looks um, looks absolutely terrible. But um, Yeah, no, no, he's he's been he's been super consistent. And yeah, like, like I said, yeah, he's now moved beyond um, being a legend um, of Grampus. I think he's now yeah right in the discussion of you know maybe one of the top a handful of keepers in the history of Japanese football.
2: And um, last one for me before we hand back to Rob to wrap. Um, just what what are your reflections about Japan's preparations for the Asian Cup? They're going to be one of Australia's rivals, obviously. Um, what are you... Uh, how do you think they're going? And um, how seriously are they uh, looking to have a tilt at this title?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, they're, you know I think, like you said, they're, they're going to go in as one of the favourites. If not, I, I would think probably the... Uh, kind of outstanding um favorite you know they've uh, in terms of results they've they've done very well in terms of the friendly matches uh the world cup qualifiers started um with a breeze as you would expect uh, that they would um yeah my question marks have always been around the coach uh, who i'm not um yeah i'm not a massive rap on uh, to be honest um I, I know you know they've had huge results you know the, whenever it was the middle of this year uh, going across to germany and winning there but um yeah he's um, he still can't shake these conservative roots you know and for me um you know having been involved and, and and watching japanese football for you know decades um it's not the dna of of how fans want the team to play um i don't think it's, it's certainly not the way that players are educated you know right from high school you know of, um in in some previous times i you know spent a bit of time with um you know kids and and watching the way that um that you know education's done in terms of you know three four five-year-olds you know just dribbling, just amazing technical skills, you know, for such young kids. So from that age, um, and, and it's right across the north to the south, west, east, the whole country, boys, girls, everyone grows up with this um, pure technique and they want to be on the ball. They want to be uh, taking players on. They want to be creating chances. And for me, this kind of uh, guy in Moriyasu is not the kind of guy, you know, said it before, and, and I really firmly believe it, Japan's uh, aims uh, should be now winning the World Cup. Not qualifying for the World Cup, not winning Asian Cups. Um, you know, they, they should be the the quality of players. Obviously, now in Europe doing well, uh, also. But even here in the J League, you know, J one, J two, you can watch J three, watch amateur leagues. I watch the team in the park down the weekend. You know, the quality, the technical quality of players is um is truly exceptional. And and I just think if they had a a world class kind of coach uh, in top of them, uh, I, I think they'll be. Yeah, that'll be one of the main contenders to win the next world cup um obviously they're they're a contender to win the asian cup just because um you know the golf in quality um uh, is still what it is uh, in in asia um but i think yeah yeah obviously they've, they've made the decision as australia did to stick with um with, with, with arnie they've made the decision to stick with maria so that's obviously not going to change so here we are you know and and, and are we on the brink of you know, they can go and win the, the Asian Cup. That's all well and good, you know, but uh, that shouldn't be the goal and it shouldn't be the ambition. The ambition should be winning the next World Cup. I don't think he's the guy to do it for them. But, um, but yeah, specifically on the Asian Cup, yeah, sure. I mean, quality of the players, assuming they get the ones uh, released from Europe, uh, you know, even if they send a J-League squad, I think they'll, they'll you know, still be uh, really keen, you know, major kind of players in the tournament either way. Um, so, Asian Cup, they should win it. But, uh, yeah, that shouldn't be uh, really where their goals and, and ambitions are focused.
1: Hopefully there's a mob in green and gold that's got a, a little bit to say on that subject as well, Scotty. Hey, mate, we'll let you uh, go. Thank you so much for coming on again, mate. We're always uh, just a little bit more knowledgeable about what's going on in Japan and uh, and the uh, Australians that are in the competition uh, after we talk to you, mate. So uh, stay well, my friend. We'll uh, we'll talk about that, uh, that uh, changing of the seasons as well uh, mm. in, in the not-too-far-distant future too.
3: No worries, guys. Thanks again
1: excellent scott mcintyre the asian game and lots of other good freelance publications you'll find here to work okay after the break we're going to cross to arsenal Uh, usually our timing is pretty good we tend to sort of book somebody just after they've won this time the gunners dropped from top spot james mcnicholas from the athletic to talk about all of that next on box to box Oh, Edge, you're back in Bangkok now, but you stocked up at Chemist Warehouse before you left, didn't you?
2: Yeah, my uh, luggage, when I went to Australia, was 25 kilos, and it was 30 kilos on the way back, and that's all <laughs> the Chemist Warehouse gear that uh, goes into my medical kit for our tours. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they got uh, they got a chunk of change from me, Rob.
1: Well done. Now, if you haven't been there yourself, stock up and save on big brand vitamins right now at Chemist Warehouse. There's Synovus 50 Plus Multi, 100 capsules for just $16.24. Go Healthy, CoQ10, 300 milligrams. Oh, I can hear him rattling in the background, 90 capsules, half price at just $36.99. We bring it all on box to box, don't we? And Ostellin Vitamin D3, 1000 international units, 300 capsules for just $25.99. In addition to visiting your local Chemist Warehouse store, order online and clicking and collect to save time or choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse Edge, the great savings every day. Chemist
4: Warehouse, Box to box. Can you
0: believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
2: Welcome back to Box to Box. Uh, We've got James McNicholas from The Athletic who's going to talk to us all things Arsenal. There's plenty of Gunner fans on this program, so there's lots to talk about. Welcome, James McNicholas, back to Box the Box. It's always a pleasure to have you. Oh, pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. And, James, the first question is, Arsenal fans, they're heading to Christmas. um, As we record this, Arsenal one point off the top of the table in the Premier League, only two losses for the year. But as a Gunner fan, why am I nervous? How should we be feeling <laughs> as we head into Christmas?
4: Yeah, I think those nerves are natural after the weekend. You know, Arsenal beating Aston Villa. Uh, I thought 80% of what Arsenal did at Villa Park was very good, but they didn't have that finishing touch. I think Villa looked exhausted, really, after their heroic victory over Man City in midweek and we're there for the taking, but Arsenal just weren't clinical enough. And I think that'll be the worry for Arsenal fans, you know, defensively by and large, they've looked very solid. They don't give up a lot of chances, um, but are they kind of devastating enough in that final third? That that will be the question. And heading into Christmas, I mean, there's a very big fixture right before Christmas on the 23rd, Arsenal go to Anfield. Obviously they don't have the best record there historically, Uh, were pegged back to a 2-2 draw there last year, which proved critical in the title race. So that will colour the complexion of Arsenal fans' Christmas, I suspect, how that fixture goes. It certainly will.
2: Um, Just a segue into uh, part of your answer there, which was the ruthlessness in the final third, because um, those people who watch the game closely would acknowledge that even though Arsenal lost for big parts of the game, they looked more dangerous. It wasn't that they had a, a multitude of shots on goal. They sort of break down um, in the in the last phase leading up to a shot on goal. But um, that final third and the forward third, um, is there a problem? And are they ruthless enough? Um, you'd have to say maybe not. But it seems to be that that is the
4: significant problem that they face at the moment. Well, I, my feelings at Villa Park were that I think they suffered from having a number of their top attacking players having an off day simultaneously. I mean, you think of Martin Odegaard, how reliable he's been. He's become so expert, kind of tucking away those chances after pullbacks to the edge of the box. Well, there were two at Villa Park where he would have expected to do better and didn't. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, I think, was able to run in behind the Aston Villa defence time and time again. But his execution when it got when he got there wasn't quite up to scratch. Um uh, I suppose we should give Villa some credit as well. They do hold that high line and to be fair to them, they hold it pretty well. They get teams caught offside more regularly than any other side in the Premier League. Um, but Arsenal, I think, yeah, when you look at that performance, you think, would a title-winning side maybe have found that cutting edge in a way that Arsenal didn't quite? And when you looked at the substitutes bench, you know, did they have enough coming on to potentially change it when you've got those top attackers who are having an off day Who can you bring on? I mean, Eddie and Ketty and Leandro Trossard came on, but are they quite at the level of a Martinelli, a Saka, a Jesus? You'd have to say probably not. And so that attacking depth, I think, is another area where, in comparison to, say, a Liverpool or a City, Arsenal may suffer. I'm going to bring in ESPN's Joey Lynch now. I'm sure he's got a couple of good ones for you.
0: James, on the subject of depth, we're looking at Arsenal, we're talking about their league form as well, but they're also going pretty well in the Champions League at the moment, getting through to the knockout stages. And you're talking about, you know, these questions over depth and now they're going to also have to deal with this very high level of very intense competition in the knockout stages in the Champions League. And no doubt the plan is to go as deep into that as they possibly can. How How do you think they'll manage that as we get into these, really the slog of the Premier League season as well?
4: Yeah, I think they've improved in that respect from last season. I think we saw their title challenge come apart really due to a number of injuries and not having the requisite depth and they've sought to address that in the summer I think the squad is a little deeper now but it's funny you know I've almost been talking all season about them not being necessarily replete with attacking options but when you look at the back I think that's probably a more concerning situation you know they've had a few injuries there uh obviously Jurian Timber who they signed in the summer out with a, a cruciate ligament injury, Tommy Asu who's come back into excellent form this season. They're without him at the moment and for a number of weeks. Thomas Partey, who's played at the back a little bit this season, he's still got an injury. So actually at the present point in time, you know, they've got kind of five senior defenders for four first team places and competing on two fronts, three fronts to come with the FA Cup in January as well. You know, that that is a bit of a worry and obviously the one Good news for Arsenal in that respect is the January transfer window opens in a few weeks' time. Whether or not they have the funds or you know, the resources to actually go out and do something, I don't know. But I think they'll have to be creative. I think they'll have to be resourceful and have to try and find solutions. Because you know, the second half of the season is when the going really gets tough, as you say. Especially if you want to go deep in Europe. And Mikel Arteta won't want to be in the same position come March, April, where one or two injuries destabilise their push for silverware.
0: And you mentioned Arteta there and this game against Villa. He wasn't actually in the dugout for that one. Had to watch from the stands after accumulating his third yellow card of the season. uh, Last season, of course, Arteta winning massive plaudits for leading Arsenal at the table against a lot of expectations. I don't think, uh, certainly here in Australia at least, people weren't expecting Arsenal to go as well as they were. Now, I guess it... Another year in, there's sort of a lot more expectations on So How do you think he's going to handle not just that fixture load that you're talking about, but a heightened level of expectations as well as we get into you know this slog of the season?
4: Yeah, the expectations have changed for Arsenal this season. And I have to say, I think you can feel that a bit at the Emirates Stadium. Last season, there was almost this sort of euphoria and disbelief that Arsenal were pushing City as close as they were. But this season, with the money that they've spent, with the fact that they are now kind of established as, you know, a major contender in English football, the expectations are bigger. And I think Arteta will be conscious of that. You know, I think he's moved into a a time in his Arsenal career where he kind of needs to win. I think he's fortunate in some respects that within his first few months in the club, he won an FA Cup in 2020. But that's starting to feel a little while ago now. And Arsenal have spent an enormous amount of money since that time. So we are approaching a point where I think he needs to deliver some some tangible results in terms of silverware. And I think he'll feel that. To his credit, I think he's set up the team in such a way that I think they're more suited to go on and do it in the big competitions. I think this is a more stable, more solid, a team that's better defensively. Um, It just feels like at the weekend, they were missing that cutting edge. And obviously, you know, they need to do both sides of the game if they're going to go all the way.
0: And I did maybe also want to ask you, James, on another senior Arsenal side, the women's side, we saw them get that massive win over Chelsea over the week in the 4-1 win, but also in front of a massive crowd which they've been able to consistently do. I think I saw a statistic that Arsenal women are maybe even in the top 10 for average attendance in England this season across men's and women's. Especially here in Australia, we're looking at the legacy of the Women's World Cup and how we get people along to our domestic competition. What is Arsenal doing so right with its women's side to not only get these on-field results with the likes of Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford, who are immense, but off the field as well? Because Chelsea won the league the past few seasons. They're not getting these crowds. What are Arsenal doing right?
4: Well, Arsenal have really focused on this and worked on it for a long time. Um, you know, they talk about a one-club mentality where the women's team are held up alongside the, the men's team. And uh, to be fair to them, I think they have done some really good initiatives. Like when they announced a new contract for Mikel Arteta, they didn't do that in isolation. They did a joint announcement with a new contract for the women's manager, Jonas Eideval. And things like that, I think, just show the esteem in which the women's team is held at Arsenal. There's been a lot of investment as well. You know, the, they went and took Alessio Russo from Manchester United, one of the star players for England during the World Cup this summer. Uh, and they tried to take a couple of other stars of the, the Lionesses, the English team as well. So there's been a sort of financial component um, and I think, you know, they've really pushed the Emirates Stadium angle. So obviously, Arsenal women have a home in Boreham Wood where they do very good attendances, but it's nothing like what's attainable at the Emirates Stadium. And Arsenal have made a real point of whenever they can, whenever the fixture schedule permits, trying to have these big tempo marquee fixtures at the Emirates Stadium and fill it out. And they did that at the weekend. I think it was over 59,000 fans in the stadium Uh, for Arsenal versus Chelsea. It's tremendous, really, to see. And I heard it was a brilliant atmosphere. It's interesting as well to see that it brings in a different fan base, you know, maybe a, a more diverse fan base in terms of age, a lot of families attending, a lot more women, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, and I think that's a really positive thing to see. It's it's tough, you know, to get tickets for an Arsenal men's game at the moment. It's very, very competitive, but there's such huge appetite for Arsenal generally, and we're seeing that reflected now in the attendance for the women's team as well. So, yeah, I couldn't make it myself this weekend. I was gutted. I heard not only was it a fantastic game, but a really good atmosphere.
2: And, James, do you think um, the average Arsenal fan, um, you know, as they organise their phone for information, do you think they're now got a bit of a news stream about the women's team. Do you think they are? (laughs) You you know, you talk about that one-club mentality. Do you think they're taking an interest more and more all of the time, regardless of whether they go to the games or not?
4: I think so. I mean, it's not hurt by the fact that Arsenal's women's team are very good. Uh, They've played nine WSL games, uh, 22 points, so joint top now with Chelsea, uh, who they were significantly better than this weekend. So, you know, it doesn't hurt if you're an Arsenal fan. You see a team lose at Villa Park on Saturday night where well, you can tune in and watch the women's team on Sunday give a London rival and a title rival an absolute thumping. And there are some great, great players as well. You know, Arsenal have always been blessed with very good players on the women's side who attract an international following. Um, obviously, they've sustained a lot of injuries recently, but we're now seeing some of the big stars of this team come back. People like Beth Mead, Vivian Miedemar. Uh, Leah Williamson as well, not too far behind. So I think it's a really exciting time uh, to be a fan of Arsenal and a fan of the women's team in particular. They continue to do the club very proud indeed. Well, James, unlike uh, the men's team, Arsenal
2: Australian Arsenal fans have been challenged by the news that keeps coming out of Tottenham with their manager, Ange Postacoglu, for obvious reasons. Um Arsenal fans uh, can enjoy the impact that Australians are making in the women's team. Caitlin Ford, obviously, um, Steph Catley, and now Kyra Cooney-Cross, Ian Wright's favourite Arsenal player, I think she is. So um, it's exciting. Thanks for joining us back uh, again, James. And uh, for all of our listeners, uh, make sure you get onto The Athletic. And if you're an Arsenal fan, James McNicholas' writing is something that you need to keep a a, a close eye on because it's great coverage. Of the, of the Gunners. Uh, we'll be back after the break. We'll go to World Cup Corner. Rob will join us back again, and we'll talk about uh, Australia's preparations for the Asian Cup.
4: Well, 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 well. everybody's going to buy Hoyt's Spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy hoit Spices,
3: yeah.
1: Well, 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 well. well. Oh, well done, Edge. I, I I like it. I should have known that you would have come in. You're, you're sort of in fine voice uh, this week. We all love flavour-packed meals on this show. Christmas isn't far away. Oh, absolutely. I know that you've got the
2: glazing uh, recipe out. You get the cloves, Mm -hmm. you get the honey, and you're going to make this uh, gigantic ham. Marmalade, sorry, I should Mm -hmm. say. You're going to make a gigantic ham. What else are you
1: going to do, Christmas? Well, I I did a trial run over the weekend with a four-point... Ribeye roast in my Weber smoker. I did. A trora, I did. A well, I had to. Yeah, I, I seared it, I, 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 but I got all my Hoyt spices out first. I got the four color peppercorn mix, as you'd know each. My you salt. Love that. No, I love it, absolutely. But I made a little bit of a, a Middle Eastern flavor with, uh, with my that mixed spices, that's it, that come in, um, and some paprika and some cayenne pepper uh, with olive oil, and, uh, and I seared it at about 250 degrees on each side. And then I took it out, lowered the temperature to 110, put the probe in for three hours, and when I took it off and rested it, mate, it was fairly good melting your mouth stuff. And it sounds pretty good great.
2: to me, Joey. Oh, would you have? It? You would have liked a bit of that, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I keep on promising, Edge, but the last time he was going to come, he, he came for the Women's World Cup and he travelled too much in Australia and I didn't even get the chance to bring him over.
2: Yes, so I am going to I still didn't get an invite to Rob's place. You so did, I was back but for you, three and a half weeks. Yeah, but you I did. mean, I did get down to um, a coffee shop and watch Rob consume a magic. Have you ever had a magic coffee, Joey? A magic
0: I know the Magic Coffee is Jamie McLaren's favourite because he had the barista at the uh, Men's World Cup making them throughout the whole thing.
1: Uh, there you see, what is the Magic Coffee? It's, 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 like it's, it's like a, a three-quarter... Yeah, three-quarter strength. Three-quarter filled... Um, uh, uh, double-shot latte is, is, is he's, what he's, it is.
2: We were down at Porgies in Hawthorne. Just, um, it, Rob doesn't get out of often these days, but we went down <laughs> to Porgies and he had a magic. Mm, so if you haven't had but one... But having said, said that, Hoyts is uh, it's where you got to go. Independent supermarkets, Coles, Woolies, they're everywhere, Rob.
1: Well done, it's beautifully brought back on track. Uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. Fill those
4: empties with Hoyts and spices, yeah. Box to Box. Can
0: you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day.
1: And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices.
0: Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
1: Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, Derek, if you're listening, um, I know there might have been some questions you wanted to ask of James McNicholas, but we will have him back on again very soon. Judging by his levels of confidence the season, is not quite yet over. Uh, World Cup corner time, uh, Joey and Edge. Uh, Edge, before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you about uh, Sam Kerr's uh, viral social media uh, story. Just for, for those of our listeners who, who don't spend half their life on Instagram and Twitter, um, tell us about it.
2: Well, she was uh, obviously getting driven to the match uh, against Arsenal on the weekend, and she pulled up at the traffic lights just outside one of the pubs in Tollington where the Arsenal fans were gathering, and they gave her a right raw roasting, um, as you would totally expect. Um, they well and truly got under her. She caught uh, she, she didn't want to look at them uh, initially, but then she finally did and just raised four fingers to rev them up a bit, a bit harder, just letting them know that. Chelsea's won four in a row so well done Sam and and she did it in she did it with a big smile and uh, the LC fans took it in the spirit that it was mentioned so that was just a little bit of interesting byplay that social media brings joy to our lives from time to time Rob I know it's a bit of a cesspit from time to time but things like that in the in the days gone by you wouldn't have seen it but we did and
1: it was just a nice little bit of byplay. Yeah, oh, well, we need to see a bit of fun, a bit of a, um, a bit of the other side, the lighter side of of uh, players, characters, and um, and, and I like to see Sam smiling because um, you know over the journey I have been one of her, her critics at times, um, and uh, and it's good to see that uh, that she's uh, in a happy place. Sam, hey Joey, uh, we're four weeks out from the Asian Cup. Um, Scott McIntyre, we were chatting with him. Um, he seemed he, he made one comment uh, um, saying that uh, that even if the European uh, Japanese players didn't come back, they, that the J that a Japanese squad selected from the J League would be strong enough to win the whole. thing. Who do you have in, in the frame for for your? Let's just jump right forward to the semi-finals um, of, of that competition four weeks out.
0: Oh, I don't have the exact permutations in front of me, so they might meet. At some point before then, and make me look like a fool. But really, the in like with the Asian Cup, you have to, you know, it's the heavyweights, isn't it? It's Japan, it's um, Korea, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia. And then one would hope. Well, no, it should be the Socceroos. I would say if this is a side that reached the round of sixteen at the FIFA Men's World Cup. And per Graham Arnold, their expectations have only been raised since. That should be the expectation, I guess, at least something like a semi final um, appearance. But it feels like nobody really had Qatar winning it four years ago. Mm -hmm. So you can't. Now, I don't expect Qatar to go back to back, even with home field advantage. um, But. Now, um, it's the Asian Cup. There's always going to be one or two surprises, but um, it's really those heavyweights of uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Japan, South Korea and Australia that you'd expect to be around there.
1: Ed, you're going to be there.
0: Your thoughts?
2: I think, yeah. Uh, look, the only point I would make is that the calendar, um, the location of this uh, Asian Cup, like uh, the last one in the Emirates, really favours the Middle Eastern uh, teams because their whole season's um, sort of wrapped around um, you know, getting peak performance at this time. So I think the Middle Eastern countries will be very, very strong, no doubt about it. Um, and it's almost like a home, another home um, event for them. Um, difficult for the Asian teams, uh, the calendar. I just think the AFC's really got to look at its calendar and try and align this Asian Cup in a July and August frame. I know that that puts out the um, perspective of the event being hosted in the Middle East, but um, they've had it the last two. So maybe the next three could not be in the, in the um, Middle East and where it has to be played in January for weather conditions, obviously. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting, um, but I'm expecting Australia to do well. I'm expecting Japan to do well. I'm expecting Korea to do well. Um, and maybe one of the Middle Eastern teams, probably Iran is the team that uh, we should be most concerned about facing.
0: It should be noted that I don't know how they were. Uh, well, it should be noted that this Asian cup was supposed to take place in June and July of this year. Cause it was initially awarded to China That's um, who uh, backed out of it. So because of their zero COVID at the policy at the time, they couldn't guarantee that they'd be able to stage the tournament. So mm-hmm. I guess that is good signs um, edge that, in four years' time, it will go back to June, July.
1: Let's hope so. Yeah, good point. Okay, gentlemen, we'll wrap it up there. Um, Joey, thanks again for joining us. You'll be back for stoppage time uh, in a couple of days' time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Edge, thank you, mate. Back in Bangkok. Thanks, Roberto. And Adam Maloney, our man behind the glass. And pressing all the buttons, editing things, making it all sound good uh, when we occasionally don't sound Quite so good. Now, if you have a moment, please leave us a review. And thank you to everybody who has so far, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And make sure you subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop. And we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.